I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. This is your journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate. I am super excited to be here. I'm coming to you late this month. I'm sneaking in on the last day of January. I promised I'd come back on a monthly cadence and I'm sneaking in right at the very end. Uh, One of my kids brought home COVID from school earlier this month. And I know many of you have probably have had a run in with this yourselves. Uh, So I hope that you and your families are safe and staying sane this winter. It's been uh, quite the topsy-turvy world that we're living in. So wherever you're listening from, hope that you're staying safe. Uh, We are all good now, uh, but it definitely delayed my ability to kind of sit down and focus on producing a good podcast, right? So I was able to come in at the last minute and do this. Super excited, uh, committed to monthly. We have one day to spare. So here we go. Uh, We're hopping back 30 years into the past to January of 1992. Uh, A couple of interesting things happened back in January. One thing that I thought was interesting, AT&T released a video telephone for the staggering price of $1,499. Interesting to see 30 years, it was just kind of hopping onto the scene here, right? The video telephone, and now this is pretty much how we communicate. Topping the box office charts, we had Hook and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Hook, of course, being that fantastic Peter Pan movie with Robin Williams, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Huge gamer, by the way, Robin Williams, uh, if you want to look into that. He named his daughter Zelda, which I thought was amazing. Uh, I mentioned last month, Michael Jackson was topping the charts, and he still is. But coming in at number two was Boys to Men, Philly favorites. You know, I'm from Philly, uh, with So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, uh, classic ballot, classic ballot. Later in the month, Color Me Bad would land a number one hit with All for Love. And our fine editors at Nintendo felt it was easy to say goodbye to yesterday. And by that, I mean say goodbye to the old format of Nintendo Power and unleash a new format to Nintendo Power this month. It added new content, not at the expense of the old. And this month's uh, issue packed extra pages. So your friendly local mail person got a little extra workout, a little extra weight to carry around uh, as they were delivering these amazing magazines door to door. So let's dive into it. I'm super stoked. Let's take a look at this month's cover, volume 32 of Nintendo Power. So of course, as you've seen from the title of this episode, we're going to be looking at Super Castlevania 4. And on the cover here, we have Simon Belmont kind of swinging into action, holding his chain whip. Uh, and again, super awesome illustration here. Uh, this is a hand-drawn illustration. This isn't that kind of cheesy, uh, kind of uh, photographic uh, uh, type of issue that we've seen in the past uh, with a couple of their action games like Ninja Gaiden. Uh, we have a cool illustration here. And it says, Simon's Monstrous New Quest. Uh, we also have kind of a hint of what's to come. There's a little uh, little call out here that says new comics and more. And Nintendo Power, of course, is still $3.50 in the US, uh, $4.50 in Canada. And that's with all the new content. So love it. Love seeing that. Uh, the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. And we've got that official Nintendo seal of quality. Opening up, uh, we're going to learn a little bit about what makes this issue so different than the previous, right? Smash into fantastic new adventures every month. We have an illustration here of Link smashing through a wall. There's a fairy. He's got his sword and shield. He's ready to dive into the action. And it says, get 24 pages of action comics in every issue of the new improved Nintendo Power. That's right. The Legend of Zelda comes alive, depicted by one of the world's top illustrators. 16 pages of full-color action in every issue, plus... Eight more pages of bumbling escapades featuring our favorite video hero, Mario. All of this still just $15 a year. 
And if you subscribed today, you got a bonus player's guide. They have the NES Game Atlas, the Game Boy Player's Guide, Mario Mania, or the Super NES Inside Lowdown on the new game lineup for this 16-bit powerhouse player's guide. So you get to pick one up for free if you re-upped that subscription for 15 bucks. Uh, we also have an ad here. Uh, hook them together and double your playing power. It shows a Super Nintendo Entertainment System and a Nintendo Entertainment System hooked up to the same television. So again, they're really pushing it. They're pushing this ecosystem. Uh, if you've been listening to previous episodes or you're a fan of the magazine, you know there's a section called Powerline. Uh, it's kind of notes from the editor. That's gone. So we've lost Powerline. It really just dives right into the table of contents. Uh, you'll also see a couple of the games that we'll feature today. Mega Man 4, Monster in My Pocket, Tecmo Super Bowl. Uh, for Game Boy, we have TMNT, Back from the Sewers, Beetlejuice, Prince of Persia. And then on Super Nintendo, we have Super Castlevania 4, Zelda 4, A Link to the Past, True Golf Classics, and Super Off-Road. Uh, again, we're looking at page 92, page 104, page 114. This is a full stacked issue. They've added a ton of content. We've got our comics. We've got video updates. We've got the info zone, celebrity profile. Uh, we've got tips from the pros and we have players forum. Uh, so let's just jump right in. We have a player's pulse as we turn the page and there's a small call out from editor Gail Tilden. So editor's corner. This month's Nintendo Power features a new look. First of all, there are more pages, largely due to our new comics section. The reason for the change was you. You've been telling us what you'd like to see in Nintendo Power Magazine, and we're responding. Keep sending in those letters with your comments and ideas. It's difficult to stress how much we appreciate your input. So again, Gail Tilden really showing that these changes were from the player's feedback, and that's super exciting. Uh, there's a phone directory here too, and I love this, right? It's probably probably been a while since I've really mentioned this, but back in the day, you know, even in the Super Nintendo era, you could call a game counselor uh, and you'd have to pay, you'd have to foot the bill, right? But there, there's a number here, stumped by a game, call our game counselors for help between 4 a.m. and midnight Pacific time, Monday through Saturday, or 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday. It's a long, it's long distance. So before you call, be sure to get permission from whoever pays the bill. Uh, I still chuckle when I think about how many kids uh, picked up the phone and called that 206-885-7529 number uh, and footed that long bill. So let's get right in to our featured game. Let's talk about Castlevania 4. One hundred years have passed since Dracula last terrorized Transylvania. Again, the ghouls are abroad, and the night is shattered by the howling of wolves. With whip in hand, Simon Belmont begins a journey into darkness. Thus begins Konami's blood-chilling Super Castlevania Four for the Super NES. Uh, we're listening to, and we just heard Simon's theme from a band called Lame Genie. Not to be confused with Game Genie. Uh, this is the jam. I love it. You can get it on Bandcamp. Uh, I always like to recommend we support the amazing VGM artists who are covering these songs. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, and it just is an awesome, awesome feature here. It opens up with some great artwork from Super, Super Castlevania 4. Uh, the magazine is not quite using the same art style uh, from the epic cover of the game, but we do see Simon kind of cracking the whip in front of a castle. Uh, we start to learn a little bit about the game and some of the uh, actions that Simon can do. Of course, he's got the whip. He can jump. Uh, he can squat, which is new. Press down and left and right on the controller, and Simon will move forward in a squatting position, which is kind of cool. Uh, he can pick up items by slashing at candles and different uh, different items 
uh, to drop down upgrades and power-ups and all kinds of stuff. Uh, anyone who's played Castlevania before uh, knows that the whip is a critical, critical component to the game. And in Castlevania 4, uh, the whip has some awesome, new, exciting features to it. Uh, you can now whip uh, multi-dimensional, right? So within the first stage, taking place outside of the castle, we're just easing into the game. Uh, and we start to learn about this omnidirectional whip mechanic. Uh, you can whip in all different directions. Uh, we also see new ways the developers are playing with the hardware. So there's a gate above uh, where you can go behind and in front of the gate to access different paths and items. So this reminds me of the gates that you can climb in Super Mario World, uh, where there's a switch and you can kind of switch between the foreground and the background using those turnstiles. So that mechanic is here as well. Uh, so you can kind of go uh, into the background and foreground of this gate. And Castlevania 4, of course, is a side-scrolling action platformer. Whenever Nintendo Power covers these, walks us through these games, uh, they show us the stages and they give us a bunch of different tips and tricks showing the side-scrolling maps. And they usually use screenshots. And I haven't seen this in a while, but all of the maps here are, are not screenshots. They're actual illustrations. Uh, they're illustrated versions of the map. My guess is that the screenshots were either too dark or too detailed once you shrunk them down to be in the magazine layout. So the illustrations are still screen for screen. Uh, and I'm guessing that let the team kind of clean up the appearance a little bit for clarity. So if you if you check out this issue, you'll kind of see what I mean. Uh, and they're able to kind of draw in different areas where uh, the items are and where different enemy boss profiles are. Uh, we finally do get to the boss in the first level. It's a demon on a skeleton horse. Uh, they give us a couple tips and tricks on how to defeat that as well. Uh, stage two, Simon must pass through a haunted cemetery where hands reach up from the ground to grasp him. Then his path leads through a swamp and into a subterranean river. The boss of this stage is not found at the end, but in stage two, two. Uh, and the boss at the end of this route is Medusa. Uh, so Medusa, we have a couple of different tips here. Um, if Simon kneels when the glance spell approaches, he'll be safe. If caught by Medusa's glance, he'll become a statue for several seconds. Uh, so classic Medusa activity there. Stage three, you are traversing a cave and some waterfalls. Um, just as in Castlevania three, you can obtain multiple shots by destroying 10 enemies in a row using special weapons. Uh, if you switch weapons, though, you'll have to start all over again. Once you've defeated the 10 enemies, the multiple shot block will appear in the next candle that is struck. So I always thought that was kind of random. But I guess that makes sense. So every 10 enemies that you defeat in the in a row with special weapons, you kind of get that upgrade. Um, I didn't know that. So interesting little tidbit here. Uh, good to learn. We also see areas where you'll be whip swinging across platforms, uh, kind of bionic commando style, which is cool too. Uh, adds a little variation to the level design. Uh, the boss at the end of this stage is a pair of dragons. Uh, and they also fixed one of the most challenging aspects of Castlevania, uh, one of the most frustrating things, uh, and that is once you are on a set of stairs uh, in the original Castlevania games, you were stuck. You were on those stairs. And also kind of if you jumped onto stairs, you would just kind of fall right through them. Uh, so it made platforming a little bit difficult. And here it says stair jumping. In Castlevania 4, there are two special jumping techniques, one for jumping on stairs and one to jump through them. To land on a step, press up, hold it, and then jump onto the stairs. Simon will land safely on a step and continue upward. You can jump down through a set of stairs while standing on a step by pressing down, holding it, and pressing the B button to jump. Before jumping through a stairway, make sure that there is solid ground below. So again, uh, the stair mechanics, super frustrating in the original games. They definitely fixed it, uh, and it is much, much appreciated. Uh, a couple other items here, uh, you know, vanishing foes. Uh, have you ever been to an area where the enemy just seems too tough to beat? Maybe it is. Maybe there's an easier way to get rid of it, like making it simply vanish from the game. Uh, this is kind of the old scroll backward and come back and it disappears trick. So they're calling that out here uh, just in case the game's a little bit too difficult uh, for non-seasoned players. Uh, and then the final tip. In the final stage, you'll want to be at your best for Dracula. There is a hidden place where you can fill your energy plus get a triple shot and a ton of hearts before you visit the count from the ledge on the right jump to the left where there's an invisible ledge go to the left edge collect the items then prepare to meet the prince of darkness uh, i had no idea there's some interesting secrets here too towards the end just as you're preparing for the final boss uh, so this issue 
really just scratching the surface of the game. There are seven or eight more levels to go, and they're only really covering the first couple of stages in the actual magazine. Now, in this magazine, there's a pullout poster, um, and on one side of the pullout poster, uh, they provide you with an illustrated map of the world with all of the stages denoted and a few different tips for stages three through nine, which they don't really cover in the magazine. Uh, that's helpful. They don't really go super deep and the maps aren't really detailed, uh, but they have it, right? So you have that pull out illustrated map. Now on the other side of that map is a large poster of the Rocketeer, right? And I'm sure you all remember that movie from the nineties. Uh, not a tough choice in my opinion. I'd probably reserve that pull out poster for the Castlevania tips, right? Uh, definitely helpful to have those on hand. I wouldn't hang up that Rocketeer poster and not have access to the tips. Uh, always the conundrum with the Nintendo Power pullout posters. So let's take a really quick break and we'll come back to talk about the development and the legacy of Super Castlevania 4. So we're listening to a track from the actual game. Uh, this is from the soundtrack. This is from the submerged city level. And again, this soundtrack is just so good. Uh, I love the music in this game. It's very, very different. Uh, there's a lot of cool percussion that's happening. And you can definitely see the Konami team really starting to explore uh, the new hardware, the Super Nintendo hardware. And there's always been great music in Castlevania games, iconic music, music that they'll reuse in future games in the series. Uh, but this is just such an interesting soundtrack. Listen to this. I mean, this is an actual track in the game, right? So you're used to regular Nintendo games kind of having the formulaic, uh, repetitive kind of action-y type of music, like think like a Mega Man. Uh, but here you actually have what I just heard, what we both just heard, which is like a flute solo, like a jazz flute solo right in the middle of the stage. Uh, really sets the tone, really sets uh, an interesting ambiance for a lot of the stages and levels within this game. Uh, so definitely check out this full soundtrack. It's really great. Uh, let's talk quickly about the development of this game, and then we'll talk about kind of different ways that uh, it's kind of held up and, and had a real legacy uh, for future games in the series. Um, so early design documents for Super Castlevania IV depict the player character uh, in modern attire, since the setting was not decided at the time. And I I always thought like that would be a really interesting twist for this game. Uh, a lot of folks kind of equate this game to being a bit of a remake or spiritual remake of the original Castlevania. And it would have been really cool if it was that, but set in modern times, you know, maybe a modern day city uh, with the same enemies, of course, and with a Belmont and a Dracula, uh, but uh, not yet. You know, maybe we'll get that in the future. There's a lot on the internet if you want to go sleuthing to learn more about Super Castlevania 4. I definitely recommend Hardcore Gaming 101. Uh, Kurt Collado over there is a Castlevania aficionado, uh, definitely a Castlevania historian. There's a lot of content over there. There's actually a book that covers a lot of the Castlevania games that you can purchase from Hardcore Gaming 101. Uh, what I want to cover today, though, is from an interview, a feature that was done in Retro Gamer Magazine. Uh, this was in number 119, issue number 119. Uh, John Sipenkiek, uh, I definitely got that wrong. Uh, he had a chance to interview Masahiro Ueno, definitely got that wrong too, uh, who was the main programmer, enemy and boss programmer, and director of Super Castlevania 4. So 
you know, 20 plus years into the future, he was able to sit down and talk with him. It's a really great piece. Uh, I was able to find it online with a little bit of digging. Uh, and Masahiro uh, went by the name June Furano in the credits. Now, Konami, like many other companies at the time, like Capcom, they didn't let developers use their real names for fear that they would be poached. So they had to use kind of these code names. Uh, so that was his name in the credits, June Ferrano. And from the interview, it sounds like Castlevania 3 was being developed by the original Castlevania 1 and 2 teams at the same time that Ueno's team was working on Super Castlevania 4. So they were being developed in tandem. They didn't share the same teams, but they did share the same sound team. And as we just heard, Konami's music and sound was some of the best. So I'm glad they didn't get kind of a B team for the music uh, while Super Castlevania 3 got access to the A team. So it sounds like they were sharing the same team, which is awesome. They went as far as they could on the NES without adding new chips. Uh, You know, there was definitely additional chips that were added, you know, to a lot of regular Nintendo games in the later years. And Castlevania 3, of course, being one of them, uh, being able to add new chips to the actual carts. Now, they could have kept doing that. You know, other series, of course, like Mega Man, kept creating new games within the series on the regular Nintendo. And Castlevania could have done that. Castlevania 4 could have easily been, you know, an additional Castlevania 3-like game on Nintendo. But they decided to dedicate this team to work on the new hardware. So they had this new team working on the Super NES hardware and they started out according to this feature without a dev kit. They only had access to specification documents, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, One thing that stood out in the feature, uh, he said that he wanted to make the game a pure action game without any RPG elements, uh, similar to the original Castlevania. He also said that he applauds Castlevania 3 and that he would have followed in that direction if the game was already released before development. So. A lot of people, as I mentioned, kind of look at Castlevania 4 as a spiritual remake of Castlevania 1 and that it kind of diverges from the Castlevania 3 formula. Uh, Most of that is because Castlevania 3 wasn't in existence as this was being developed since they were being developed in tandem. I didn't know that. So I thought that that was uh, really interesting uh, to learn as I was doing some digging. Uh, The changes to the stair mechanics and the whip freedom was intentionally baked into the game to make the game less frustrating than Castlevania 1. And he also talked about, you know, the use of Mode 7, uh, which of course was a Super NES kind of graphical mode that was specific to the console. Uh, And you see that in F-Zero and and Super Mario World. Uh, You'll see it here in Super Castlevania 4 a ton. Uh, So they use it pretty well within this game. Some people might argue they use it a little bit too much, uh, but there's a lot of interesting graphic tips and tricks that you'll see throughout Uh, The full article has a level-by-level director's commentary, so definitely check it out. You know, maybe I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check this out, if you want to do a deeper dive and learn more about Castlevania 4. But again, there's so much more we could cover. Uh, It is easy to play, um, so you can definitely find this on a number of re-releases and kind of re-released consoles. Um, I recently played it on the Castlevania Collection. Uh, It was kind of my first time playing through the whole thing. So I played through that on Switch. If you want to play through it, I definitely recommend that, of course. Uh, Easy way to just jump in and play. And then last year, uh, the Castlevania Advance Collection was released. So I've never played the Castlevania Game Boy Advance games. uh, So I'm very excited to dive into those as well. And we will cover them in a future Nintendo Power issue. uh, But of course, that'll be well, well into the future. So for now, let's close the book on Castlevania 4, and we'll jump into another 4 in our next featured game of this episode.
Dr. Kosak mounts an attack. The battles of the Blue Bomber continue in the fourth NES installment of the awesome Mega Man series from Capcom. This time, there's a new villain gumming up the works of Mega Man's utopian world. His name is Dr. Kosak, and it looks like he's learned a lot from Dr. Wily's near misses. Kosak has dreamed up eight new robot leaders to smash Mega Man, and he's created a huge fortress that rivals Wily's skull castle in size and ingenuity. Take on the robot leaders in any order, then fight your way to the evil doctor and get ready for some mega surprises. This, of course, is Mega Man 4 on the NES. We're going back to the NES, and we just heard some kind of guitar-centric renditions of some of the intro music to Mega Man 4. That was by Christoph Slowakowski, who goes by MET or Mets on YouTube. Uh, he's also He also has a Bandcamp page uh, that I will link to in the show notes if you want to listen to his full guitar playthroughs of not just this Mega Man game, but multiple Mega Man games, and they're all fantastic. Uh, so one thing you'll notice in this new kind of Nintendo Power format is an NES icon at the bottom of these pages. And we'll see that for the Game Boy and the SNES sections as well. So they're doing a better job kind of showing you, now that they have this ecosystem of consoles, uh, both cons- home consoles and the handheld, what system you're looking at. Visually, it's pretty obvious for the Game Boy, but I do like this enhancement. I like that they're starting to separate the issues based upon these sections. So if you just had the NES uh, or you just wanted to pinpoint kind of Game Boy features or Super Nintendo features, you can do that and you can easily see kind of where you are in in your place. So the way that Mega Man games are typically featured in uh, Nintendo Power, uh, they go through each of the enemies. Uh, They'll talk about their stages and they'll talk about uh, some of the weaknesses that you can leverage uh, when you're going up against these bosses. Uh, We have Ringman, my domain, my domain is one of the most trap-packed areas that you'll ever encounter, Mega Man. My trick platforms will disappear under your meddling mechanical feats. My Saturn Seekers will knock you into oblivion, and my Ring Boomerang will send you spinning. I love the writing uh, in these Mega Man sections. Uh, in Ring Man, we also see the Hippo, uh, the Hippo Launcher, which is one of the enemies in Ring Man's stage. Uh, and it's featured a lot when talking about Mega Man 4. It's just a really cool kind of purple hippo robot type of enemy, and uh, it was pretty popular uh, when promoting this game. We also see a little section that says Meet Flip Top. Mega Man's new mechanoid uh, pal, Flip Top, hides out in enemy territory with power-ups and extra energy. Meet him here. So it's this little robot that comes, his head kind of flips open, uh, and then something pops up, whether it's a one-up, uh, some extra energy, what have you. Sometimes maybe you will get an E-tank, uh, which is super helpful. Uh, we go through Ringman's stage. Then we see Dive Man. My water world will prove to be your last battleground. Uh, not quite Dive Man, but thank you. Toad Man, Bright Man, Skull Man, Dust Man, Drill Man, and Pharaoh Man. Some of my favorite enemies in any... Mega Man game. Some super cool enemy design here. Uh, maybe not incredibly original with Toad Man and Skull Man, uh, but there's some awesome stuff here. Uh, I have to say that Mega Man 4, I don't think it's the best Mega Man game by any means, but is certainly my favorite. And I think a lot of that has to do with when I discovered it or when it discovered me. So I received Mega Man 4 for a uh, birthday gift. Uh, one year. Uh, Again, I didn't get a lot of video games growing up. I got them typically once or twice a year. It was either my birthday or it was Christmas. Uh, And I remember getting Mega Man 4. I was such a huge fan of Mega Man 3. Never owned it, but I borrowed it from my neighbor. I'll never forget the day that he asked to uh, have it back. So Mega Man 4 uh, was a gift that I received. And I remember being so addicted to Mega Man 4 at the time. Uh, I live in Pennsylvania and I grew up in Pennsylvania and my grandparents were living in Florida. So I went to go visit my grandparents uh, and I begged my parents to let me bring my Nintendo Entertainment System, my entire console and Mega Man 4 just so I can continue to play uh, when we went to go visit my grandparents. So I I actually flew to Florida uh, with a Nintendo Entertainment System in my luggage so that I, I could play this game and continue to play this game. Uh, and I, I remember beating the game uh, for the first time in Florida uh, 
in my grandparents' living room, you know, just kind of sitting on the floor uh, with my little cheat sheet of passcodes on the on the floor. Uh, so again, great memories of this game, kind of playing this growing up. And I'm sure a lot of you listening have Mega Man memories as well, whether it's Mega Man 2, Mega Man 3, Mega Man 4. Uh, so definitely uh, keep those memories alive. Super exciting. Uh, Kosak Castle uh, is kind of the final area of this game. The four stages of Dr. Kosak's Snowbound Castle are in a mysterious setting of onion domes and mechanoids. Uh, this reclusive genius has not been heard of before, so there's no telling what kind of traps he's set for the ambitious hero. You'll meet plenty of familiar robots and some new surprises too. Try to go in with as many energy containers as you can find and take it one step at a time. Uh, so again, one thing that Nintendo Power does that I absolutely despise, uh, they spoil games. They do it. They spoil the end of games. And you see that here. Uh, Wily waits. It's true. Dr. Wily was behind this evil plot from the very beginning. So one of the great plot twists, one of the great surprises in Mega Man 4, that Dr. Wily actually kidnapped Kosak and, and, or kidnapped Kosak's daughter uh, and really uh, had Kosak do his bidding. Uh, great plot twist. Would have been amazing to experience that firsthand in the game. I actually think that I did experience that firsthand in the game, but if you were an avid Nintendo Power reader, it got spoiled for you. And there's actually like a final shot, final screenshot of, uh, of Wily, you know, kind of, again, the absolute spoiler moment. And it's here. It's all here documented in Nintendo Power. Uh, don't love that. Uh, I'll say it again. They always do this. Uh, I'm going to play one more track from MET, uh, Christoph Slowakowski, and this is Skullman Stage, one of my favorite tracks from the game. Mini monsters are moving, miniaturized by a freak of nature, a good-natured vampire, and a mild-mannered monster. Hop in a jack's pocket and hitch a ride into his house. Not all of the monsters made mini are kind, though, and other tiny terrors soon stir up trouble. This new adventure from Konami comes complete with one of the creepy little collectibles. This is Monster in My Pockets. Uh, and this was based after, I remember these, they were toys. They were little collectible toys, uh, super small, super tiny. And I don't remember the game coming with one, but I guess it does. I guess it did, you know, according to Nintendo Power here. I guess you got a limited edition or just a regular old monster in my pocket when you purchase this game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. We've got another classic side-scrolling NES game here, and... First, we take a look at some of the actions that you can take as the monsters. Heave Ho, Quick Jump, Kneel, Monster Smash, and Double Jump. The Double Jump is uh, apparent in this game. So there are different actions you can take. This isn't a super linear uh, one attack, one jump style game. So later in the NES's life, so it's nice to see some variation there. Uh, we look at all the stages here, and in traditional Nintendo Power fashion, we've got screenshots. Uh, the first is Monsters in My Bedroom. And looking at the shots here, this definitely re reminds me of Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Uh, so if you've ever played that game or Chip and Dale 2, uh, Chip and Dale are kind of in in real world scenarios, right? And everything looks super big, you know, compared to them. And you're getting that here in this game as well. Uh, everything is real world, just shrunken down. Uh, we have stage two monsters at my table. Uh, here we have a dining room and a kitchen uh, set. Stage three is outside, and this takes place in the sewers. Uh, kind of reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was another Konami classic. Uh, and then stage four, five, and six, we don't get the full walkthrough. Just a single screenshot and paragraph. 
And that pretty much concludes the footage and kind of the coverage we have for Monster in My Pocket. Uh, Sports games were super popular on the NES and the Super Nintendo as well. Uh, And one of the biggest games that I can recall was uh, Tecmo Bowl. Uh, And we have Tecmo Super Bowl being covered here. The NFL on the NES with the original Tecmo Bowl featured actual, uh, excuse me, while the original Tecmo Bowl featured actual player rosters of 12 teams in NFL cities, Tecmo Super Bowl brings the entire NFL to the NES. All 28 teams are represented with team helmets, names, and their 30 top players. Uh, So this was a big deal. This was a very big deal for sports games. Anytime you had the official rosters you had the official uniforms uh it really felt official it really felt like you were playing the actual sport with your favorite teams uh and if you were invested in the sport you could get invested in the game uh there was a lot of options for tecmo super bowl so i'm looking at it now you know you can do a full season you can simulate games you didn't actually have to play the game definitely more complex than the original uh, and then moving on, we have a uh, Game Boy. So the Game Boy section is now its own section. Uh, we are taking a look at TMNT2, Back from the Sewers. Big headline here, those bodacious bros are back. They were on vacation in the sewers, but all good things must come to an end. Now the nin- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are back and hard at work. Uh, so this is the sequel to Fall of the Foot Clan, which was another Game Boy game from Konami. And uh, yeah, so this one looks better looks much better the graphics look better uh you know we have different attacks here too jump kick overhead swing sliding kick uh we're seeing profiles of all the turtles but by this point i would assume that most kids and nintendo power readers adults too knew leonardo Raphael, michelangelo donatello and i would even go so far as to know that they knew what their weapons were the katana the side the nunchucks the bow and that's, you know, Donatello had slow speed, but a long attack range that Leonardo was well-rounded with average speed and medium attack range. You know, like everyone knew this from playing the first couple of games and it holds up here as well. Uh, there are also bonus games uh, that you can play in this as well um, and jailbreaks. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that there was a mechanic uh, in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game and in this game as well that if you lost a ninja turtle you know you died um you'd be able to recover that turtle Uh, i believe in the original you could just find that turtle at different points in the game and kind of rescue them uh with this there's an actual rescue game that you can play uh so that you could rescue one of your fallen bros it says um we see some strategy here, some maps for Act 1, the streets, Act 2, which is a skateboarding level, always fun, kind of those side-scrolling levels. Act 3, a construction site. Act 4 was underground. Act 5, turtles in freefall, a lot of floating platforms here. And honestly, the graphics are not bad for kind of the OG Game Boy. Uh, definitely, it's definitely lacking the detail that you'll get with Turtles 3 on the NES, of course. Uh, but it was great to have games like these to play on the go. And, you know, speaking of games to play on Game Boy on the go, uh, here's one that's a bit of an oddball. We have LGN's Beetlejuice. This is based on the Beetlejuice cartoon from the 90s. I remember the visual aesthetic of the cartoon, but I didn't really watch it, honestly. Uh, I wasn't a big Beetlejuice fan, never played this game. Uh, I'm definitely getting Adam's Family and Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle vibes here. Uh, but there seems to be some interesting puzzle segments. I don't know. If you've played this game, give me a shout on Twitter at Yo Power Time, Y-O Power Time. Tell me if it's worth revisiting. Uh, I'd love to get a sense of if, if this is a game that you recall and uh, if it's worth picking up. Uh, also feature for Game Boy, Virgin's Prince of Persia. This looks like a pretty straight port of the classic PC title. Uh, the original was such a great game. Uh, I used to play this at my mom's office uh, whenever I had to go in to uh, work with her. You know, if I had a day off of school or if I was um, half day or something, I'd have to go to work with my mom. Uh, they had Sierra Games and Prince of Persia on an old PC uh, and the old kind of Windows or DOS pinball. I used to play that all the time. Those were definitely the, the days. Um, I'm not sure how this particular port fares on Game Boy, but it looks pretty direct. It looks pretty straightforward. So if the controls are smooth, I'm sure this was definitely fun to pick up on handheld. Uh, But it is nothing compared to the next game that we'll talk about. 
Get ready for the triumphant return to Nintendo's fantasy land of legend, Hyrule, in a new adventure that explores the very genesis of the Triforce legend. You know it, I know it, we all know it. That was the intro to The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. You know, arguably one of the greatest Zelda titles, if not one of the greatest games of all time. And listen, we'll have plenty more to talk about in a few issues from now when Link hits the cover of Nintendo Power's March 1992 issue. So until then, you know, we'll take a quick look at what's covered here, but we'll save the memories, we'll save the music, we'll save the history for March, uh, so a couple months from now, when I cover A Legend of Zelda Link to the Past in full detail with that issue. Uh, But here, you know, we're getting our first glimpse, you know, uh, here there's a paragraph, right? So predecessors of Link and Zelda must battle a mysterious wizard and the evil forces behind him as he attempts to release dark forces on the unsuspecting people of Hyrule. The emphasis is on action, but there are also plenty of mysteries to solve and items to find and master. The land of Hyrule has never looked so inviting as when displayed in Super NES graphics, and there are more things to find and do and more places to explore than ever before. Such a huge, grand adventure, and we're starting to see it take fold. Uh, Up until this point, we've only seen this game teased uh, in a few places, so now we're really starting to get a sense of what is this going to look like? And honestly, at the time, it was more exciting to me than super mario world you know which was monumental you know for nintendo fans uh the illustrations in this issue here for this segment are so good you know we're getting direct illustrations from the nintendo team we get that epic link to the past logo we get a look at the master sword you know just awaiting for a hero to come and obtain it And there are five pages in this issue dedicated to the game. We learn about Link's new abilities and some hints at the story and the plot. It says heroic techniques. Heroic moves made possible in part by 16-bit technology are the key to the new Legend of Zelda adventure. With the wide variety of options available, the hero has complete freedom to explore the land to the fullest. Uh, So awesome, right? You know, I love this being attributed to 16-bit technology. I don't know what about it. Uh, is made possible in part by 16-bit technology. But, you know, obviously they're pushing the Super Nintendo uh, as the next generation, and it shows. Uh, Some of the things that you can do in this game, you can lift items, you can use special weapons and items like bombs and the bow. You can swim once Link has the proper swimming gear, of course. You can do the dash attack, you can swing your sword, jump to vertical spaces. A lot of things that you could do in the original Legend of Zelda, but we're starting to see upgrades. Uh, we also have four face buttons on the controller now, you know, so there's more you can do that that is just mapped to additional buttons, you know, which is exciting. We get a look at the beautiful in-game world map and the dungeon map view as well, so we can kind of see already, you know, there's a lot of game that you're going to have to terrain uh, just looking at the world map. And then the screenshot they use for the dungeon map shows, you know, B1, B2, B3, 1F, 2F. So there's five floors, you know, so there's vertical space. You know, you're going up and down stairs uh, and you're starting to map that uh, to the screenshot here as well. We get a tease of the story. So with the help of the village people, uh, not that village people, I'm assuming, right? Uh, Link finds the elder and begins his quest for the three pendants of carriage, power, and wisdom. With these, it will be possible for Link to retrieve the mighty master sword and battle Aganim. Uh, using screenshots, we learn a lot about the beginning of the game. And a lot of this is covered uh, earlier in the issue through the comic, the Zelda comic that is included in this issue, which I'll actually talk about out of order. I'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, Link's quest to find the three pendants in the Master Sword will take him across the land of Hyrule from the lowland swamps to the peak of Death Mountain. Caverns, dungeons, and the maze-like interior of ancient Hyrule Castle must be thoroughly explored to find the powerful artifacts of the mysterious Hylia people. As the legendary hero, the destiny of Hyrule is in your hands. Uh, Obviously, I can't wait to go deeper and deeper into this masterpiece. My son and I actually just started playing this. Uh, we we beat Link's Awakening, the remake of Link's Awakening together. Uh, and now we're going back to uh, play the original A Link to the Past. So we'll dive into this uh, in two episodes from now. Uh, but moving on, you know, we'll talk about a few inferior games, right? For Super Nintendo, uh, a couple uh, games that round out the SNES section. We have True Golf Classics and we have Super Off-Road. Uh, Super Off-Road obviously being... Um, you know, kind of that RC Pro-Am style 
racing game. Uh, again, it looks good. It looks really good um, based off of, you know, off-road for the original NES. Uh, the now playing section for this issue is a little bit different. Uh, so now playing is usually when they cover all the different games that weren't big enough to kind of get full reviews, full spreads. Uh, and this time it's being targeted as George and Rob's now playing. Two guys' opinions on the latest releases. We've invited a couple of experienced game players at Nintendo HQ to share their opinions on some of the latest releases. Rob and George start off by talking uh, about their personal favorites of the games that are reviewed in this issue. So it's it's got this Siskel and Ebert type of vibe, right? Where you have a thumb up and a thumb down. Uh, these images of George, illustrations of George and, and Rob, you know, apparently. Um, and it's these two guys who are just talking about games. And it looks like it's really just a transcription of just a conversation that they're having, you know? So it'll say George, you know, saying the, this and Rob saying this, right? Uh, so games that are featured uh, in this new section, Super Castlevania 4, Mega Man 4, uh, Blues Brothers on the NES, Cowboy Kid, F-15 Strike Eagle, Hammer and Harry, La Emperor, Amazing Tater on Game Boy, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes on Game Boy, D-Force on uh, Super Nintendo, John Madden Football, Nolan Ryan's Baseball, and Pit Fighter. And honestly, they shred some of these games. They've really... Uh, are not kind to a few of them. So most of them they are, but there are a couple where they are not uh, mincing their words at all. And there's a, I love this, there's a little box uh, down at the bottom of the section that says, the opinions of Rob and George do not reflect the opinions of Nintendo Power Magazine or Nintendo of America, Inc. Uh, but clearly they're from Nintendo HQ and this is a Nintendo Magazine. So it's so funny that they have to put this, uh, but I guess they don't want to damage the relationship that they have with the publishers and developers, especially the ones that they're criticizing here. So it's meant to be kind of the uh, impartial reviewers, but of course nothing is impartial uh, in Nintendo Power Magazine. So I thought that that was hilarious that they have to even put this disclaimer. Up next, we'll take a look at some previews. So Packwatch is a look at what's on the horizon, what's coming out in the future. Uh, we see Contra Force. Um, this should be released in a couple of months. It looks okay. looks like Contra. Uh, graphics aren't earth-shattering, but they do tease uh, Contra for Super Nintendo. No screenshots, though, right? So Contra Force was on Nintendo, and then Contra for Super Nintendo. Uh, I believe that was... Was that Super C? I don't recall, but we'll cover that when it comes out. Um, that was definitely an awesome game. Uh, the graphics were amazing. Uh, up next, we have one of my favorites, Darkwing Duck from Capcom. Uh, what goes flap in the night, wears a purple cape, drives a souped-up cycle, and fears nothing except not making the 11 o'clock news? You guessed it, Darkwing Duck. It's time to get dangerous with Darkwing Duck. Uh, this was on Capcom's Disney Afternoon collection, right? So it came out not too recently, uh, or not too long ago, uh, in a re-released form. So I had a chance to revisit this, too. Really awesome game. Uh, there's a couple different elements here, uh, and... A lot of this uh, feels like Mega Man to me. It is Capcom, uh, but you have your little pea shooter, uh, but you have a couple different elements to that. Great game. Uh, definitely check out Darkwing Duck, and we'll cover it when it gets uh, the full uh, the full review in Nintendo Power. Uh, Stanley and the Search for Dr. Livingston. Never heard of this game before. Very odd exploration platformer from a country or from a company called Electrobrain. Uh, for Game Boy, we have Mousetrap Hotel, High Stakes. And for Super Nintendo, we have Raiden. Uh, we also have The Rocketeer for Super Nintendo, which features digitized stills from the movie. Um, they actually look pretty impressive for the time. You know, using that 16-bit processor, we're able to kind of see uh, some of these stills from the actual movie, and they look good. F1 Race of Champions on Super Nintendo. We have Zardian an epic cyborg adventure for Super Nintendo as well by Asmic. Uh, looks kind of like a really polished NES title. Uh, the game was only 30% complete, according to Nintendo Power, but the team said that they were impressed. And there's also a novelization in the works, um, which is really, really interesting. And also coming from Asmic is an NES game based on Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, could be giant, we'll see. Uh, that was a direct quote. Love the wordplay there. Could be giant. Uh, we have Ultima 4, The Lost Prophet, which is a PC port, or at least close to it. 
Uh, and then for Game Boy, we have Star Trek, Tiny Toons, Top Gun, Ultra Golf by Ultra. We have Mega Man 2, Mickey Mouse, Little Mermaid, Street Fighter 2, and Magic Sword from Capcom. No shortage of Game Boy games coming out as well. And then we always have this little call out called Gossip Galore. Uh, Gossip Galore explores, uh, again, just some things that are coming out uh, that are just rumors at this point. And it says one subject that keeps coming up has to do with the CD-ROM. When will it come out? What games will come out on discs? Will CD-ROM make everything else obsolete? Well, the truth is that CD-ROM will eventually arrive, but probably not for at least a year. Will it change the way we play games? Maybe, but that's up to the programmers and how they use the new expanded technology. Uh, So it doesn't say anything here about Sony, uh, but we do know from, from history that Sony and Nintendo were developing a uh, Super Nintendo that had a disk drive, right? Uh, Sony, of course, would be uh, coming to market with the PlayStation eventually. Um, Sega would have Sega CD, um, and then eventually they would have more CD platforms as well. Uh, and then Nintendo would not dive into the CD format in their next console with the, the Nintendo 64. Uh, we wouldn't see CDs uh, until the GameCube right with Nintendo. So uh, interesting to see this in 1992 beginning to be discussed. I'm sure it was probably being discussed um, specifically around PC gaming as well. Uh, So good to see this come up. So moving on to our next segment of the episode, That's So Retro, where I like to cover all the super old school, super retro things that are popping up in this issue of Nintendo Power. Player's Pulse section of the magazine had a call out for 3D artwork. And from here, it says, move over Michelangelo. Boy, we asked for 3D art and you gave it to us. We have Yoshi, uh, Mario riding Yoshi. We have Mega Man. We have the Battletoads. A lot of really amateurish 3D looking art, but super cool to see that as well. Uh, for tips and tricks, we have classified information, some secrets for Snow Bros. Jr., Vice Project Doom, Scat, and Solar Jetman. For Super Nintendo, we have Gradius 3, Super R-Type, Act Razor, and F-Zero. Uh, Counselor's Corner, uh, this is where you kind of get those hints uh, from some of the most challenging aspects of certain games, like in Super Mario World, uh, how do I get out of Forest of Illusion 3, where are the four Switch palaces? We have counselor uh jeffrey decker on on deck uh to give us the answer to that uh we also have some tips and tricks for solstice bill and ted uh where are the balls in the western world uh not sure what that means gargoyles quest uh and just some really fun stuff of course in counselor's corner uh next segment of the show are we having fun yet uh this is where i just kind of point out some of the fun odds and ends of this issue as well uh, we have the comics, right? So I talked about it in the beginning. I've referenced it in uh, the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past segment. Uh, there are some awesome, awesome comics uh, that are introduced in this issue, and it's going to be a new staple uh, for a bit, right? So we have the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past com- comic, uh, which opens up, you know, that frail, uh, that fragile calm is about to be shattered for an abominable evil sealed away for centuries is about to be awakened by a sinister servant of darkness. Uh, chapter one, Heroes Awakening by Shotaro Ishinomori. Uh, really, really awesome illustrations here. It begins with Link kind of sleeping, being woken up by Princess Zelda saying, I'm being held prisoner in the castle. It is the opening to A Link to the Past. And it's a great way, I think, to introduce players to this story of this game that's not even out yet. You know, you could probably argue that, hey, this is starting to give away the plot a little bit too. But honestly, uh, if you were anticipating Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, and, you know, just to be able to get a hint of the story, it's kind of like what we get now with YouTube uh, and, you know, different publishers kind of putting out little teasers and little trailers uh, that give you glimpses of the beginning of the game or the beginning of the story uh, before you actually get your hands on the gameplay. Uh, That's what we have here. It's awesome. The other comic in this issue is Super Mario Adventures. Welcome to the Mushroom Kingdom population. Tons of toadstools. Uh, Illustrations by Charlie Nozawa. And uh, these are really fun. This is the first uh, kind of issue uh, that features this particular comic. 
And uh, I forget how long the run goes for, but they actually collected these into a paperback book that you can get the full collection. Uh, and I have that. I have a copy of it. And it's really, really nice. So these are quirky. These are fun. These are different. Kind of reminds me of the quirkiness of the Super Mario Brothers cartoons. Uh, but if you're interested in this, you can you can pick this up on Amazon today and you can start reading these comics. And not to be completely outdone, there's still a Nestor comic. So Nestor's Adventures is still uh, a staple of Nintendo Power in this particular issue. Uh, it is Act Razor themed. Uh, so there's Nestor kind of building a pyramid or something. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't have the same charm and it really doesn't stand up as well compared to these new comics that are introduced, but it's fine. Every issue typically has a player's poll contest where you can fill out kind of some market research questions for Nintendo and you could potentially win something awesome. In this case, it's a trip to see uh, Rare Studios in England uh, and it's a Battletoads themed contest. So you get to tour Rare uh, who created a bunch of amazing games. Uh, the celebrity profile on this issue is Bill Lambeer, uh, a Detroit Piston pro basketball player. He's pictured here in a futuristic full body suit. Uh, I think that was something he wore being filmed for a commercial for Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball, which is a game that we talked about a little bit last episode, kind of a futuristic basketball style game. And then finally, the top 30. So I usually go over the top 10 from the top 30. Uh, Nintendo games and Game Boy games featured in each issue. They're revamping that now. So it is now just the top 20 and they're going to cover NES, Game Boy, and Super Nintendo. So I'm I'm just going to read the top 10 each episode. So the top 10 for NES, we have Super Mario Brothers 3, Battletoads, The Legend of Zelda, the original Legend of Zelda, mind you, uh, TMNT 2, the arcade game, Dr. Mario, Mega Man 3, Final Fantasy, Batman, Metroid, and Super Mario Brothers uh, 2. Uh, for Super NES, we have Super Mario World, F-Zero, SimCity, Final Fight, ActRaiser, Castlevania 4, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, Super R-Type, Final Fantasy 2, and Pilot Wings. Uh, I didn't think A Link to the Past was actually out yet. We'll have to, we'll have to confirm or deny that. Uh, Game Boy, we have Super Mario Land, Metroid 2, Return of Samus, Dr. Mario, TMNT2, Fall of the Foot Clan, Mega Man, Dr. Wily's Revenge, Super RC Pro-Am, F1 Race, Castlevania the Adventure, Battletoads, and Final Fantasy Legend. Uh, Player's Picks is a new feature where you can send in a photo uh, and a list of your favorite NES games. The best part about this new section, there are four kids featured in this page, uh, and there's one blatant guy who is like well into his 30s maybe early 40 40s he has a giant mustache it's absolutely amazing uh he felt compelled to send in his uh his favorite games uh so that's going to conclude today's episode in the next issue coming up next month volume 33 we'll be looking at tmnt3 the manhattan project pull up a pizza and prepare to chow down on the tastiest turtle title to date learn what's new what's not what's classic and what's hot in tmnt3 We'll also take a look at Gradius, uh, the interstellar assault on Game Boy. Uh, one of my all-time favorite games, The Legend of the Mystical Ninja, uh, a Goemon game. The young and determined Kid Ying and his companion Dr. Yang take on armies of wacky enemies. We also have Ramparts. Uh, it should be a great episode, so definitely tune in. I'll try to get it out earlier in the month. Uh, the intro and outro to the uh, episode uh, is by Azure Flux. That song is used with permission. So thank you so much for that. We heard a lot of other great tunes today. Uh, Lame Genie uh, from the Castlevania 4 soundtrack. Kristoff uh, Slowakowski, also known as Met or M-E-T on YouTube. Uh, and then we also listened to the Zelda intro from A Link to the Past admittedly this one was a little rough around the edges like i said we had a challenging month but i'm happy to be here uh, happy to get this episode in i'll get the the next one in a little bit earlier i hope that everyone is staying safe out there uh definitely 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 uh stay safe hope you're healthy uh thank you so much for your time and attention stay tuned for the next one and as always play hard score high and be excellent to each other keep on playing with power